you're a, a visitor here tonight, that's what you need to know about us. We want more of him. And we're, we're just going to desperately run and search out as much of him as we can get. A um, bit of a disclaimer before I continue. My name's Clay, and uh, th- uh, this might be hard work for me tonight. I've been feeling the presence of God pretty powerfully today. And uh, I'm feeling pretty overwhelmed for me. Um, I'm usually quite staunch. But, oh, man, it's on tonight. And you'll see why in a minute. Uh, I'd like to uh, introduce you to my uh, to my little girls. This is uh, Sean and... Brianna, and remember how staunch I normally am. It's Sean and Brianna. They've just turned four and three in the last month, and they are my tonga. They are my treasure. And I cannot be more proud of them or love them more than I do right now. Lisa didn't bring them along to the service this morning. been a pretty full-on weekend. I was away. Um, they didn't really sleep well last night, and Leslie's wearing this pregnancy pretty hard, so she was really sore. So they stayed home this morning. And while while Greg was preaching a powerful gospel this morning, they were at home responding to it. And I got this text message at 10.54 this morning. This is what my wife said. Bree's just praying. And a part of it went like this. Please, Jesus, can you speak louder so I can hear you? Amen, girl. Amen. They're both lying on the couches praying out loud at the moment. It's so precious. And now, I love you. I want you to be in my heart. I want you so much. And I love you. Mummy is praying silently that God protects this love my children have for their God right now and that it will never change. Leslie didn't give them words to pray. She didn't lead these girls in this prayer. Leslie was doing housework and she walked in on them and overheard this happening. God is good. And as much as I think I love my girls, he loves them so much more. And he loves me so much more. These girls, they just believe. And their faith humbles me. And it challenges me because I find myself in this bizarre conviction that I desperately want the faith that they have. When they read the stories in the Bible, and they read them every night, they believe, and they receive it with so much more faith than I think I ever did. They respond the way we should. Whenever they read a miracle, a healing, you know what they do? They run around the room with their hands up, screaming, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. And they are profoundly sad when Jesus dies on the cross. 
and they stop. And I remember last week, Sean put her hand on my knee and she said, I just want to thank Jesus that he died on the cross for me. And then I have to stop and I have to cry because it's just so real to her. But then we flip the page and Jesus is alive. And that's what they shout as they run around the room. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And the looks on their face, it's rapture. It is joy. But to me, that's an old truth that I just take for granted. But they don't know how to do that. When I have a headache... And I can turn turn into a grumpy old bear when I have a headache. Their first response is to pray for me. Because Jesus makes things better. That's just what he does. Jesus will fix it, Daddy. I am overwhelmed with two very powerful emotions tonight. One of them is, is just love. I'm feeling so much love tonight. I am so in love with my with my daughters. I just I am just overwhelmed with that, and I am overwhelmed with love for the God who has drawn them him, these girls to Himself and is continuing to draw them to Him. Because this is really, as a dad, all I want for my girls. I don't care if they grow up to be pastors or doctors or engineers or Olympians. I just want them to love Jesus. And so I get this text message this morning that turns out they really do. And I just don't want to stuff it up for them. I want them to love Jesus. And I'm today walking in the truth of 3 John 1, 4. For I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. And so I'm overwhelmed with love for God who is drawing them to himself. But at the same time, I am filled with regret. And I'm, I have an aching desire to find again the faith that I had as a child a long time ago. Back before the world and the church made me skeptical and cynical, distrusting and anxious and complicated. My daughters have what, what I want back, a simple, pure faith. They just love, they just believe. You know, when my daughters worship, they don't, they don't worry about whether the drummer is in time. They don't worry about whether the guitars and the bass are getting the chords right. They don't worry about whether the, the singers are in tune, whether it's too loud or too quiet. They just worship. They don't, they don't even, they're not even really concerned about the songs. 
It's one of the, the most beautiful times of worship. No, that's not true. The, the most profound time of worship I've ever had was walking in on my girls, just doing it for themselves uh, in the lounge. And at first it was kind of, it was kind of charming and funny to me because um, my eldest, Sean, four years old, it lined up four little chairs in the middle of the lounge and in the front row was Bree, her sister, and then it was um, then it was Teddy, and then Big Baby, and then Little Baby, all lined up with Sean at the front because Sean's the worship leader, and, it, and it, it just it just makes you feel warm inside. But then she lifts up her hands and she starts worshiping, and I don't mean copying the Hillsong song that she'd heard. It's legitimate free worship. She's calling out to the Holy Spirit, welcoming him, him in. And then for the next five minutes, it was just, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And it went from being very charming to just heart-wrenching as she led me into worship. And I felt the presence of God fall in my lounge as my four-year-old daughter led me in worship. And I'm like, I can't do that. And I'm paid to. <laughs> And in the front row, her little sister, arms up, copies everything she does. I just want to bottle that because that's it right there. Her worship is authentic. Whereas mine is complicated, just distracted by everything that's happening here. And so I'm humbled and I'm challenged. Their worship is powerful and it's biblical too. In Psalm 8 verse 2 we read, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. It's not a metaphor. That is what I experienced as my daughter led me in worship that day. The presence of God was on my home and I've never felt as safe and secure in there as then. There is so much that we can learn from children. And I'm not ashamed to say that my three and four-year-old daughters are having a profound impact on my faith. Not just this story. But God is using them as a powerful force for discipleship in me. And I don't want to miss out on any of that. And I believe that Jesus is calling us all to the same lesson. In Matthew's Gospel... Chapter 18, we read, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. In Mark chapter 10, verse 13, he said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child 
will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. The model of faith Jesus has given us to pursue is humble. It's a trusting faith of a little child. And I'm starting, I'm starting just now to finally get it because I can see that in my own children. Children dream. And every night without fail, my daughters ask me to pray for their dreams. Children believe anything is possible. Children trust. Children take you at your word. Children are quick to love and quick to forgive. Children are completely dependent on their parents. And so this is my heart cry now. I want to dream. I want to believe that anything is possible. I want to trust God. I want to take him at his word. I want to be quick to love and quick to forgive. And I want to be completely dependent on my heavenly father. Just like my kids are right now on me. So I need to change a bit. Because <laughs> that is a pure faith. And that, that's the faith that can surrender self to accept Jesus for who he says he is. But there is a tension in this as well. God is looking to grow mature, childlike faith. God doesn't want us to be thinking like children. But he wants us to believe like them. And the belief must come first. Little children, I discovered a while ago, and my brother Simon, Kirk, and others are discovering at the moment, are very helpless little critters. They are useless. They depend completely on their parents for survival, but... We as adults, I think particularly in our pioneering country, we pride ourselves on our independence and our self-sufficiency. We try to do it all on our own, and at best we leave God as a last resort. Now God is our true provider, whether we accept that or not, and he satisfies our every need. But if we are working to be self-sufficient, then we don't feel that we need anything more. And we shut the door on the provider. Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount, the poor in spirit will enter the kingdom of heaven. Poverty of spirit is the qualification for inheritance. And poverty in spirit is humility. It is is what we grow as we realize that we are wholly dependent on Christ for our destiny, for our eternity. That there's nothing that we can do ourselves, that we need him. God wants us to be aware of that need. And so what he does is he leads us into and through some sometimes quite trying circumstances. He will lead us into seasons of winter, seasons of wilderness. Because in those seasons, when things are hard, 
and we, we are struggling or just can't do it on our own, that is when we can develop the dependence on him that we need. That's why the Israelites spent 40 years in the desert. It didn't need to be that long. But that's how long it took for them to realize that they needed him. And if they were going to receive the inheritance, the promise that he had for them, they needed to be that dependent on him, trusting in him. So their wilderness season was 40 years long. I don't want mine to be 40 years long. Anyone? 40 years in the wilderness? No. They had a choice, the Israelites, in the wilderness. They walked around for a while. God led Moses to lead them up towards the promised land. And they got to the northern part of the desert. And they sent 12 spies into the land to survey the land and see what was going on there. They did that, they checked it all out, and they brought back some stuff. And there were 10 who said, we can't do this. There are giants. They'll kill us all. We, we must go back. But there are two who had faith and said, you know what? This land is flowing with milk and honey. It is going to be awesome. We can do this. But the people listened to the ten that had no faith. And there was a rebellion right there and then. And what they, you know what they said? They said, let's go back to Egypt. Slavery is better than that. And what happened is that entire generation died in the desert. And they had to walk around for decades more as the new generation came through and faith developed and a dependence on God developed till they became the people that trusted in God to lead them into the promised land. We need him so much more than we could ever imagine. And only with him will we receive the inheritance that he's promised us. Only with him will we become the people that he's called us to be. But it's hard to think like that when we have this self-sufficient mindset, believing we can do it on our own. In fact, orienting our entire lives to do it on our own, career-driven, security-driven, Securing for ourselves a future for our families. And what we end up with is the future that we devise for ourselves. We end up with everything that we wanted. We end up with the career, with the house and the car, which dies with us. And everything we've strived for dies with us. God has so much more for us, but only if we'll trust in him for it. And trust that what he has for us is better than what we can do for ourselves. I don't need my children to be dependent on me. I don't want to raise children who are dependent on me. But I need them to grow up dependent on God. And in that, I was very privileged because I grew up poor and my parents, my mother wasn't able to do for me what she needed to do. My mother didn't have money, but she had faith. And when I say poor, I mean no food for breakfast tomorrow. I mean nothing in the pantries. 
And so I grew up with a mother praying. And when I say praying, I really mean crying. And begging God to feed her family tomorrow. And every time, time God came through. And imagine what it does to the faith of an eight-year-old kid. When you go to sleep hearing mum crying out to God, and in the morning you find the groceries on the front door. Do you think I have a problem with trusting God for provision? Never. It is hardwired to me because in that wilderness season, God demonstrated and proved his faithfulness to my mother and to me. And I will never forget that. And part of me wishes that my daughters could experience that too. So that they could see God provide for us the way that I've seen him do for my mum. Trusting in God for provision is not a problem for me. I had to learn it the hard way, but I think that was the best way. Research in early childhood education reveals that it's around about the age of three that children start to learn how to distrust and stop believing in everything that they hear. Before that, the default position is just trust. If someone says something, they just believe it. My youngest, Bree in particular, she'll ask me the most full-on questions about the universe and about the constituent elements of her yogurt. And it doesn't matter what I tell her. Her response is the same. Okay. And that's it. That's her truth. She just believes. That's quite a power that I wield, so I don't mess with that. I don't mess with that at all. I don't mess with Santa Claus, or um, I'm careful around how we use make-believe there. I've got an amazing fantasy life. But because they believed, I don't want to be sowing anything which later turns out to be a lie. I want to build faith. But it's at three, generally, that kids can start to learn to distrust. Before that, they just believe. Distrust is a, is a learned mindset. Learning distrust is sadly often a necessary skill for survival in a fallen world because you just can't believe everything that you hear. But when applied to other aspects of our lives, particularly our relationships, and especially our relationship with God, it can be incredibly destructive. There are two clays living inside of me. One is an educated, experienced, jaded, skeptical adult disciple. Fiercely independent and self-sufficient. Trusting in myself and my capabilities. And I think I'm pretty capable. The other is a faithful little child that just wants to run to Jesus, confident that he will love me, that he will accept me just as I am, trusting that he will take care of me, that he will protect me, and that he will make everything okay. When we first met Christ, we were that trusting little child. There were no barriers to him. We knew that our sins were forgiven. We basked in the bliss of being forgiven and saved. But as time passed, we become hardened, 
questioning everything, questioning God's grace. How does that work? Questioning whether his grace can cover our sins as bad as we feel we are. We question his love, his love for us. We question our salvation. We question God's power. We question God's hand on our lives. We question uh, the kingdom of God. We question our leaders and whether they're really following God. We become jaded and suspicious of the church, our leaders, the kingdom, and our place in it. And many young believers, and I've seen this so many times, end up walking away from their faith altogether or just settling for a nominal religiousness in place of the transformational relationship that Christ offered them and that they once responded to. When does this this conflict begin? For me, it came with knowledge. And this was particularly dangerous for the way my brain was wired. It was important for me to understand everything. And what I've come to see is that the more I thought I understood, the less room there was for faith. You see, faith is, faith is what you do when you don't understand. Faith is what you're left with when you don't know what's around the corner. But you step out anyway. And throughout story after story in the Bible, I now see that that's exactly what God was calling his people to. To trust even when they didn't know and they didn't understand. Whereas me, I wanted to be like Solomon. God gave me the choice. I want wisdom. I want understanding. I want to know. And it turns out that I want to know, because if I know, then I can work it out for myself. If I know, well then I can pick my path. I don't need a God which I don't know what he's going to do next if I have the understanding myself. So I'm fighting against faith the whole time. And the more I knew, or the more that I thought I knew, the worse this became. And I then went on to look to replicate this in others, looking to raise up young people in faith that wasn't really a faith that was all about knowing as much scripture and having a good orthodox interpretation of it. If you did that, well, then that's a foundation. Whereas what's interesting is that the foundation that Jesus built the church on was the foundation of apostles and prophets. Who knows what they're on about? Word comes from heaven. Most of the time, I don't know, it might as well be Greek to me. And my Greek's pretty shaky. But God leads his church through people powerfully, and they hear from God. And the church needs to step out in faith and follow. Happened with with Abraham, whole family went with him, with Moses, an entire nation, millions of people had to follow a guy who didn't even grow up with him. He grew up in the palace. But they had to trust that God was on him, even when it didn't add up. Adults think first and then trust later. 
I definitely think first and then I trust later. But children trust first and then don't really think. Just before he was going to die, Jesus told his disciples in John 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. The disciples had a lot of questions. They wanted to understand. But more important than understanding was faith. Jesus needed them to learn to trust in God and lean not on their own understanding. And that has been my battle. When I was young, I remember regular road trips from uh, our place in West Auckland up to my grandfather's farm uh, up around the Kuiper. And um, I, st- I, I, can, I can close my eyes and I can, I can visualize the, uh, the hills and where the, where the forests are and where the, the streams are. Um, so many trips, and it was a it was a wonderful time in my childhood. And I just I just everything felt right, even though Dad wasn't there. Um, I just everything felt kind of right, and I remember feeling feeling just safe and secure in the car driving next to Mum. And, and I remember always I'd, I'd fall asleep every time on the way, on the drive back. I'd fall asleep. It'd be late at night, and I'd fall asleep in the passenger seat next to Mum. Just. I just, I just trusted her, and just there was no reason to, to feel insecure. But um, <clears throat> I don't really feel that way anymore. I, uh, I don't really like to sleep in the car anymore. I find it far more stressful to be a passenger uh, than I do to be the driver, particularly when my mother is driving. <laughs> I honestly don't know how she didn't kill us when we were kids, but... At the time, I distrusted mum. Uh, now, I'm, I'm going to drive. I prefer to drive. And when I'm driving, as you do, I'm always I'm thinking. I'm uh, analysing uh, potential threats. I'm suspicious of other drivers. Um, and I'm thinking about, uh, about where I'm going to be going. I'm thinking about what's the quickest route. I'm uh, thinking about where the roadworks are. And I'm not generally an anxious person, but, you know, when I'm driving, I get a little bit more... I'm not like a nervous driver, but I'm, I'm a suspicious driver. And I also think I'm the, probably the best driver on the road. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but probably is. But, but <laughs> So I'm always thinking. And... What I've, what I've been thinking is, I think that's very similar with my life as well. Even though uh, my heavenly father is in the driver's seat, it's like I can't really trust him. Because uh, ideally I should just be able to fall asleep and trust that when I wake up, I'm going to be in a better place than I was at the start of the journey. But no, I can't go to sleep. I've always got to have my eyes open. And uh, I can't help but be a backseat driver because I'm pretty sure that I probably know the best way to go. And so I'll make sure that he knows that. Trusting in God is surrendering all your stress and worry to him. It's putting your life and your future completely in his hands. And just trusting that he's going to take care of you. 
So I need to learn to trust him again. Trust him like my girls trust him. Trust him like my girls trust me right now. And I need to learn to love him again. I want to learn to love him the way my girls love him right now. And the way that I remember that I loved him. And I have the most vivid memory of the night that he called me out. I was 13 years old and my parents were going through a a pretty uh, pretty difficult uh, divorce. And uh, I wasn't really handling that very well. But uh, God is gracious and he was gracious to me. And so he surrounded me with a, with a group of young men who had loving, stable homes which could model something else for me. But they just loved me and accepted me no matter what was going on. And, and I, I, felt, I felt amazing love amongst them. And one night they took me along to a Youth for Christ rally in, in Auckland. And uh, it was a preacher called Tony Campolo who, uh, who preached a message that I'd, I'd not heard before. And he didn't really talk a lot about Jesus that night. But that night, it wasn't actually Jesus and the cross that I think I needed to hear. But God knew exactly what I needed. And so the message that I got that night was the love of the Father. And if you've heard uh, Tony preach before, you know that he wears his heart on his sleeve and he preaches with all of his heart and very passionate. And he cried as he preached the love of the Father that had changed his life. And from the start, my, my heart was pumping out of my chest and I desperately wanted the love of the Father that he talked about because I hadn't grown up with that. And I didn't know quite what it was and I... I'd seen the way that my friends' fathers were with them, and it seemed so good. But this other love that he talked about, the love of the Father, would just wash everything away. It would wash over me, and it would make everything okay, even when everything wasn't. And so when Tony Campolo put the, put the call out that those wanted to receive the love of the Father, I don't remember running to the front but I, suddenly I was there and um, I was told that I ran and I screamed. Something within me was just that desperate for God. And Tony prayed for me that night and I received Christ and he laid his hands on me. And as he did, I felt just this warm love wash over me. And I just lay on the ground for... I think it was 45 minutes just bathing in the warm love of the Father. And that night, the Father put a deposit in my life. And this is actually the revelation I came to this afternoon. The Lord put an ahika a home fire of love in me that became buried and I forgot about it. I forgot about the experience of his love and I went on to live first quite a rough and rebellious life. 
but then quite a, re- a religious one. And the whole time there was this deposit of love within me that I just needed to unearth. And my daughters have been digging it out. And that's why I'm such a mess today. (laughs) Because they dug it out today and it's just bursting forth. And I just, the love of God is just, just crushing me right now in the best possible way. So we were singing songs earlier today about more love from God, more love. And I believe that, and I believe God can pour out more. But what I found today is that there was already quite a lot in there that I didn't know. And what it says in Revelation 2, the letter to the church in Ephesus, God says, you have forgotten the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. What I did at first was I ran to the Father and I let him love me. And I need to do that again. I need to return to my first love because his love is the foundation of everything for me. The commandment that he has called us all to Stop making disciples. That's something else. The commandment he has called us to is to love. To love him and to love each other. To love our neighbors. We cannot do that without his love welling up within us. That is why this is so important. We must return to our first love. We love because he first loved us. We need to find that again. I have been struggling to do what I thought he wanted me to do with my life and what I believe he has called me to because I didn't have the love. But it was there the whole time. And now I know. And I can't let it get buried again. And I want to keep throwing fuel on that fire. And that is intimacy with him. That is an awareness of his love, which wasn't just 23 years ago. It is every day. His mercies are new every morning. He is loving me in ways I could never imagine. I've just been blind to it. But I'm not going to be like that anymore. His love has bubbled up to the surface. And I want to feed that every day. And that's going to feed a life that is going to transform this church, this city, this nation. His love. But not just me. Us. I can't do anything on my own. And God doesn't want me to. He wants us to do it. His church. This is what he's preparing us for. I want to return to the first love. And that is what I believe God wants us to do tonight. To repent and turn back to the love we had at first. To reject the skepticism, the doubts, the lies. To unearth the love, the deposit that is there. 
and then let him pour out more. I'm, uh, I'm not generally one for an altar call, but I believe God is calling for a response tonight. God responds to faith. He doesn't respond to songs or to atmosphere. He responds to faith. And as we step out in faith, believing in him for what he has already put in us and what he wants to do in our lives, he responds to that. And he is faithful. And he has promised us that that when we seek him with all our heart, we will find him. And he is here to be found tonight. I found him this afternoon. My daughter's helped me do it. And he's here to lead you to that as well. So, I want to give you an invitation to make a decision to turn back to what he put in you from the start when you first came to faith. And if you have never done that before, if you have never surrendered your life to this loving Father and haven't had the chance to turn jaded and skeptical like I have, well, then you can start well and set yourself up for a very good journey with him by holding on to it now. And so the invitation is this, whether for the first time or for the hundredth, tonight we turn back to our first love the love that took him to the cross the love that dreamed us up in his imagination when he decided that I want you I want to make you because I want you in my world that is what God determined for each of you you are his idea his creation he dreamed you up and then he made you happen And love drove that. And love drove him to not let anything hold you back from him. And I forget about that all the time. And the churchiness. And the struggles of this world. And I know that it needs to be more than just this highly emotional feeling. This doesn't change anything. tomorrow when I wake up my meditation will be the love of God and as I fill my mind and my heart with that meditation that's going to impact my dealings with everyone with my wife, with my children with people I meet on the road and me and him 